21 FM, 11 past 12. Coming up next, it's Thursday Finance and Stephen Pritchard joining us. We'll be looking at property syndicates. We'll also have our market snapshot with Henry Jennings and the three C's, currency, commodities and your calls a little later in the program. It's Brett Hall who's also <laughs> with us today and he's going to be doing the yeah, commodities. Right. Okay, Brett, what's happening? So the uh, the commodities are up this week, Shane. The um, so gold is up slightly, so up three percent to uh, one thousand five hundred twenty-three, which has basically just kept it stable across the uh, the last month. Then silver uh, twenty-one eighty again, it's up five percent from from our price last week of uh, twenty dollars forty-three last week, and copper seven thousand eight hundred thirty-seven, which is up seven percent on last week. Most of these so- they were. Mm. Are we happy to happy about all of these prices going up? Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's it's obviously beneficial to to have them increasing. Um, though I mean, they're only sort of stable across the month, but um, yeah, up from the previous week, which is which is obviously good news. And good because Australia relies so much on commodities in the world economy. Exactly right. Okay, so then our currencies. Um, so again, we're we're up a little bit this week. Um, so against the US dollar, it's uh, seventy eight cents. Um, and great. British pounds are at 52 this week, so up 1.6% from, from last week, um, which is sort of a, a little bit up from uh, over the month as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the New Zealand dollar, we're at, uh, 103, and the Euro 71, and the Canadian dollar, uh, 98. Mm. So, so basically all those a little bit flat, um, across this week. Mm. Okay. Do, you, do you think things like the plane crash in Switzerland is likely had to have an effect on, on currencies, generally speaking? I don't think Not so, likely. no. No, okay. which has been unfortunate, that event this yeah, week. Yeah, it certainly is. Okay, yes. so on to the, uh, the indices. So the All Lords is actually up to uh, 5,937, so it's edging quite close to the, the 6,000 mark. Are we um, going to have a party when it happens, yeah, when it gets over 6,000? <laughs> there are quite a lot of people having a party, I think, when it gets to 6,000. So that's up 2%, so 2.2% from, from last week, Yeah, which is good. Um, now, the Dow is, is down almost 2% on last week to 17,718, and the NASDAQ is 4,876, which is also down about 2% on last week. So um, which, which of the American indices is the, is the one that perhaps most affects our market? Yeah, the Dow. The Dow Jones. Yes. Yep. Okay. Okay. And the FTSE is, is stable at 6,990. The Nikkei, again, stable from, from last week, but up slightly on, over the month. Um, so it's at 19,746. And lastly, the Hang Seng's at 24,528, which is up 1.6% from, from last week. Okay, then uh, I guess one of Stephen's favourite topics is obviously fuel prices. <laughs> yes. And... Um, so looking at uh, comparison to last week, so interestingly, um, Newcastle is now cheaper than Sydney. I know it's something we've talked about over the last couple of weeks. Right. And so at the moment in Newcastle, it's $1.33.5, while in Sydney it's one thirty-seven point seven. Okay, so yes, we're cheaper than Sydney, but we're not as cheap as we were a no, month, that, a couple of months ago. And uh, That's right. And has the oil price gone up correspondingly? So, the, so yeah, interesting. The oil price is up slightly. Um, oh, sorry. Um, oh, the oil price may have fallen. Oh, sorry. In over, the last I'm second. looking at comparison to last week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, so it's at uh, sixty thirty one. 
Mm-hmm. Um, in comparison, last week it was 59.33. And wasn't the oil price up over a, over the hundred a little while ago, like last year sometime? Yeah, yeah. I mean, even just going back to um, back in February, it was at 69.45. Yeah. So you know, we're down to 60.31. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And interestingly, uh, diesel is now in Newcastle at uh, 132.9, which is slightly cheaper than unleaded. Which okay. is interesting. Yeah. And because historically it's been the other way around. Yes. And um, in Sydney, diesel's at $1.27.7. 24 past 12, this is Thursday Finance, and it's time for our market snapshot. And Stephen Pritchard, you're going to talk to Henry Jennings. Yes, I'm going to talk to Henry Jennings. Let's do it now. We'll talk to Henry. You there, Henry? I am indeed, Stephen. How are you? I'm recovering from my. Um, Flew from last week, so I'm recovering still, Henry. Oh, so okay. I'll let you do most of the talking. Cool. I hope you get better soon then. So do I. Yeah. So, so how, how are things been going this morning? Uh, well, we've had a bit of a pullback this morning. We're down uh, nearly 80 points on the ASX 200, or about 1.3%. Um, mainly on the back of a weaker US last night, and I guess a little bit of profit-taking. The market has been trying its hardest to breach that 6,000 level, which is psychological if nothing else, Um, and we have sort of failed miserably. We've got pretty close, um, but um, but no cigar on that one, so we're back down to under 5,900. The market's still pretty good, but um, it's certainly not as good as it was a couple of days ago. The banks, mainly the ones that have been bludgeoned a little bit today. Yes, well, well once we get to uh, 6,000 points, it'll be the highest in seven years. It will. I mean, most other markets are at all-time highs, so so uh, we are still lagging behind, although if you include dividends uh, in the uh, in the index, which is called an accumulation mm-hmm. index, so it includes dividends, we are, uh, we are doing pretty well. In fact, we are probably at all-time highs as well. Mm. Um, and so the investors are continuing to chase the yield stock still? It's the same old story, it's the same old crowded trades, it's the same old themes that we've had for the last two or three years. It is very much the yield stocks that are dragging investors in. It's the ones that don't surprise. Um, It's the banks, it's Telstra. We have seen some support for BHP, which is somewhat um, at odds with what's going on in commodity markets, with oil still very much on the nose and iron ore still very much uh, similarly on the nose as well. Um, So we have seen BHP have been rallying recently. They, they are demerging. They are splitting BHP. They're having a divorce. So they're divorcing what, what the market kind of calls bad BHP from good BHP. And uh, they're creating a new company called South 32, which will have uh, what, what BHP consider the, the slightly less sexy assets. Um, but it's, it's hoped by investors that by splitting the company, by divorcing, that they can have brand new lives in their bedsits all by themselves uh, and create something wonderful. Wonderful. Aren't all of those assets they're getting rid of the old Billiton assets? Uh, yes. Yeah. Well, you got, you've got to put Humpty together and then you've got to tear Humpty apart. And pay various people right various simple. fees to do it. And there's $732 million in fees and uh, other things associated with this split. So that seems to be a lot of money, but a lot of reasons why investment banks and advisors are quite keen to split Humpty up. Mm, I wonder if they'll... I wonder if they'll change the name back to BHP and then pay someone else to do a new logo. I'm sure they will. Oh, uh, yeah, I think the logo is all part of it. That's probably uh, $10 million to change the logo um, and then change all the corporate stationery. 
Yes, oh, interesting. <laughs> and of course, um, the Reserve Bank's issued a couple of warnings in the last couple of days, one about um, additional capital requirements for the big four mm. banks to hold additional capital. Yep. And uh, no surprise, though, and I think you know, eventually that's going to get up, I suspect, which will... Well, the, the Reserve Bank keeps um, keeps crying wolf a little bit. They're, they would really like to get the dollar down. They would really like to cut interest rates to stimulate the economy. But the problem they have is that it stimulates the property market, which is still very much out of control. Um, and they keep talking tough, but really doing very little about it. So, um, you know, they're obviously behind the scenes talking to the, the major banks, trying to uh, to slow things down. But every weekend comes and goes, and the sun shines. The Agents rub their hands. The auctioneers uh, go to the, the fence, go to the bushes for their bids, and all of a sudden we've got a new suburb record again. So um, clearance rates are massively high, and property is continuing, uh, not aware, not everywhere rather, but uh, certainly uh, in those inner city pockets with good infrastructure, access to schools, universities, and that uh, some of our foreign friends like continue to, uh, to go ballistic. Yeah, and the second warning, they, interestingly, they issued was about um, commercial property, that uh, it, it's being seen as the next source of a potential yeah. economic crash because people are buying that up because of the higher yield in that as well. Yeah, well, I mean, this, this is all leading back to the same argument that we've been, or the same discussion we've been having. If there's so much free money sloshing around the world, um, you know, that the, um, the Australian government issued a 20-year bond uh, this uh, this week, and it was done at a record low. I think it was about 2.8% for 20-year money. I mean, would you lend the Australian government money for 20 years and get a measly 2.8% or whatever it was? I'm not sure I would. Um, I certainly wouldn't. So The Australian uh, government should be taking advantage of that and borrowing as much as they can at that rate. They should be filling their boots. And they should be instead building. Of, instead, of, instead of selling off infrastructure, we should be borrowing money long-term, locked in, 2.8%, thanks very much, and building some decent infrastructure in this state and in this country. But don't get me started. No, no, no I agree with Henry. It's, it's just madness. It's just madness. Selling assets at at 8 and 9% yield to the private sector and then using it to reduce our debts, which we can borrow at four, 3 or 4%, or now 2%. The, the, the maths is, is, is absolutely ridiculous. and Unfortunately, we've been locked in this um, deficit-bad, borrowing-bad kind of uh, environment, yet all the, the RBA is trying to do is get people to borrow money. Hmm. Why doesn't the government borrow money, especially as it's so cheap, you know, it's pretty much with interest rates at 2.8% for 20 years, um, you know, long-term inflation is going to be more than that. So, you know, you're really getting the money for nothing. You, you could actually go and build some stuff for the nation. Yes, yeah, like the very fast train link. For our sponsor, Pritchard & Partners, this is Thursday Finance and Stephen Pritchard. We are in our market snapshot with Henry Jennings. Well, Henry, um, yeah. Ardent leisure, following some rather bizarre statements by the chairman in the last week about shareholders <laughs> not respecting him, it now appears that private equity is looking at the company. Well, this, this is the story. Uh, I have to say the share price hasn't really uh, reacted as such yet. But there was a surprise resignation of the, uh, the CEO a few weeks ago. Um, this came on the back of um, some somewhat disappointing uh, profit numbers. Um, and the chairman uh, or the CEO resigned, and a new CEO was appointed who was a lady, a lady by the name of Deborah Thomas. Um, and the market... 
uh, absolutely tanked on her uh, announcement that she was um, that she was going to be taking the, the, the reins, which which is somewhat um, somewhat sad, I guess. Um, and, and the chairman came out and decided that the, the reason that it tanked was not because of her inexperience or the fact that she wasn't used to running uh, a business quite um, like this, which has theme parks, bowling alleys, and health clubs, but because she is a woman, um, which did seem a little bit um, bizarre. But there you go. But at the moment, it seems that private equity may be having a sniff round uh, on the takeover front for this one. Hmm. And then Ramsey Healthcare, which has been a very good performer here in Australia, um, appear, uh, and recently bought um, one of the largest, if not the largest, private hospital chain in um, France, appears to have um, had their revenue cut by the French government. Well, the Europeans have got some issues, and the French government are certainly as uh, issue-bound as all the other um, bankrupt and struggling governments around uh, Europe. And, uh, and as a result, they're having to cut back government spending. Um, so they are cutting back the tariff that they pay to the Ramsey uh, private hospitals by uh, around 2.5%, which isn't a huge amount. But uh, Ramsey are the biggest um, operator of private hospitals in France now following that acquisition. Um, so it's, um, I guess it's a little bit of a concern. Um, and, um, yeah, we'll wait and see this space, but they are saying that basically that they will absorb um, the extra cost and, uh, and they will just make some changes so it won't have a, a massive effect, but it just shows you that, um, that some of these governments like France and Italy do have some serious problems with revenue still. And then um, Twiggy Forrest has made a few comments uh, in Hong yeah. Kong. Gotta love Twiggy, yes. don't you? I mean, he, he's obviously had a couple of uh, quiet ales one one lunchtime and decided to start talking about how to solve the low iron ore price, which in his estimations is really um, just a, a function of the, the big guys getting together and uh, cutting production and therefore um, basically fixing the iron ore price amongst themselves. Um, and putting caps and ceilings on their production, which, of course, would be highly uncompetitive and would certainly draw the uh, the attention of the ACCC and other authorities around the world for collusion. And we've, we've seen um, in, in recent years uh, collusion with the uh, with the LIBOR, the London Interbank Overnight Rate, where they were fixing that. We've seen other FX uh, fixes, and we've had uh, accusations of gold price fixing. Gold price. So, and of course, we've always got the perennial one where um, the petrol stations around Sydney always seem to have the same price on petrol, remarkably. Hmm, uh, and up here. I'm sure, yes. So, um, so yeah, there, there is a, a, a lot of um, potential collusion for a lot of, a lot of businesses, and uh, it's not a good look to suggest that uh, big iron ore companies go down that track. Of course, it would probably be good for Australia as a whole if that were to occur. Um, we well, won't get into that. I guess, I guess it would. I mean, in the old days, uh, some years ago before BHP broke the model, um, iron ore was done at a spot price negotiated and was locked in for a number of years on long-term contracts. Uh, then BHP broke that model and decided that they wanted to go with spot prices, uh, and the spot price soared to uh, $175, $180 a tonne. Um, but, you know, they've, they've since 
paid the price for that because the spot market for iron ore is not particularly liquid and it is um, open to uh, to being pushed and shoved around by uh, professionals for whatever reason. And at the moment, you know, it's languishing in the in the, the mid to, to highish 50s um, and um, I'm sure there's a few operators now that would look at it and go, you know that, that long-term supply contract at $80 a tonne, that's not looking too bad now. It's too late, it's not available now. We've changed the system. They changed the system, but you know, I guess there's there's always room for um, for people to negotiate their own contracts, and you can take a view on uh, on what's going to happen in the future. If you were to su- suggest that you could lock it in for 20 years at 80 dollars a ton, maybe there would be some mm. steel mills that would like that certainty. Mm. Bearing in mind it was 175 at one stage. That's right. And then speaking of prices, the, the takeover between TPG and Inet. Well, the takeover of INF by TPG, rather. I mean, that, that seems to be changing by the day. I mean, one minute the shareholders are for it, and now they're, they're, they're saying it's too low. Well, it's, it's a $1.5 billion um, takeover that TPG has launched at their competitor, IINet. Um, and although the board seems to have um, backed the offer, or the directors have, um, there's certainly some disgruntled shareholders that are suggesting that the offer is way too low. Um, currently, the offer is around $8.60, um, but they did get a 10.5 cent divvy as well. So it's sort of equated to eight dollars seventy, and the stock is trading above that. So there certainly is a feeling that um, that uh, there will be either another bid or an increased bid um, to uh, to get it over the line. Okay. Well, Jane's telling me we have to uh, our market snapshot for the week. Thank you very much, Thanks, Henry Jimmy. Jennings, and we'll talk to you again next week, which will be just before Easter. It will indeed. We talk Thanks, about. Jane. Easter eggs or something. On 2NURFM, and you know, if you head to our website, 2NURFM.com, you can keep up to date with everything that's happening at your favourite radio station, but you also can catch podcasts of this program, Thursday Finance, and other other programs, very many other programs as well. It's a great place to start exploring our website. This is Thursday Finance, and Stephen Pritchard, of course, we're taking your calls. If you've got a question you'd like to put to Stephen and Brett to do with your finances, give us a call, 49216216, and we'll do the best to answer your question. In the meantime, um, Stephen, uh, property syndicates. Now, um, okay, this is a good topic for us to discuss. What are they, actually? Well, property syndicates are, are, are similar to a, a property trust, but, but they're, they're structured a bit differently. Um, they're, they're usually quite smaller than the property trusts you see listed on um, the Australian Stock Exchange, such as uh, uh, General Property Trust and um, Stockland. Um, and they usually only own one or maybe two buildings. Okay, so a property trust might have more than oh, a property one. trust, you know, Stockman owns numerous shopping centres and office buildings and some residential and, and GPT owns, at, you know, Charlestown Square and big centres like that. Um, property, uh, property syndicates tend to be, um, uh, if they own a shopping centre, it'll generally only be the one or they own a um, single office building or they own a hotel. And basically it's a group of investors um, come together buy a, a single um, property, and property syndicates generally run for a fixed period of time. Um, and what this means is that um, you, you buy units in a, typically they're structured as a, a, unre- a managed investment scheme, um, either an unregistered one or a registered one, 
um, depending whether they're wholesale or retail investors. And you know, the investor puts their money into these property syndicate, and it's usually an illiquid-type asset, which means that um, you can't get your money back unless you find a buyer for, for your interest in that syndicate till the end of the syndicate. Hmm. Okay. Is that a disadvantage or not really? Uh, well, some people see that as a, actually, some people see that as an advantage. Um, it can be a disadvantage in certain circumstances if, you know, people pass away unexpectedly or, or whatever. But, but why, why that's seen as an advantage is because these property syndicates replicate the performance of a direct property investment to a greater extent than the listed property trusts. Mm-hmm. So, so generally what would happen, the property thing it sets up, it, it identifies a property, it then raises the money to buy the property, and they usually run for five or seven years. And at the end of the um, term of the syndicate, the syndicate disposes of its property, gets wound up and distributes the proceeds um, to the investors. So, so, converse, so, so it's the return of the property syndicate um, more correlates directly with the underlying property assets. Mm-hmm. Now, so when you say that a group of people get together, are you talking about me and my neighbour and the next person? Or are you, oh, talking you, and your, about you and your neighbour and your next person could set up your own, yes, yes, provided it was less than um, 20 investors and less than $2 million, you, you, you haven't got registry issues. But, but, but generally they're set up by um, uh, people who promote property syndicates and that, that's... Um, uh, there's a number of companies around that do that. Some specialise in retail property syndicates, and the difference in that is that they've generally got um, a lower investment minimum, probably around $10,000. Um, and then there's other companies that specialise in what are known as wholesale property syndicates, and they're only available to uh, people who qualify as wholesale or sophisticated investors and meet one of those tests. Now, they're, they're quite often got minimum investments of $100,000 or more. Right, and then so I could invest in that by buying a number of units. Yeah, or yeah, you buy units, the same as a same as a listed property trust. You just buy units in the generally structured as a managed investment scheme, and you just buy units in the in the scheme, and you receive the distributions um, coming forward, which is the rent or the interest that the the trust holds. And at the end of the term, the the syndicate gets wound up, and you get the proceeds of the building, and they they redeem your units. Mm, okay. As compared to what happens on the listed property trust, you buy units and then when you go to sell them, um, they're sold at whatever the market's paying on a particular day. Now, at various times in the market cycle, and, and one of those is, is now, that the price that the units are sold on, it, at the, on the stock exchange can be higher than the uh, underlying asset value. Mm. Is that good? It's good if you're a seller, not so good if you're a buyer. Um, because there's, there's often there's a lag between the the underlying value of the property, you know, listed trust, and what the people will tend to buy listed trusts more on a yield basis than the NTA basis at times in the market cycle, so, which, which is what's happening. Now. People are buying yield stocks and, and the, the underlying value of those, some of those listed property trusts is, is less than what they're paying. So what kind of investor would be well suited to look at property syndicates? Um, you know, you, you, investors who are looking at um, prepared to, to invest their amount of money for a fixed time. And as I said, they're usually five to seven, maybe ten years. Um, they don't want the money in that time. Um, property centers come in different styles. Um, some have got borrowings in them, generally around the 50% mark. Um, 
and because they're borrowing a large amount of money, they can use to get a better rate than, than you can go by going down to the local bank. So you get some scale advantages. But, but anyone who, who's prepared to, um, lock their money up for a, a fixed period of time and have got to realize the main thing is they, these things are usually illiquid. Um, prepare to understand the risk in property investment and the risk in borrowing. So, so if you take into account those risks, they're quite an easy way for someone with limited funds to build a diversified portfolio of commercial property assets. To a new RFM at eight minutes to one. We'll have news coming your way then. And what's the weather doing? Well, a quick update for our sponsor, Snap Freeze Air Conditioning, your Dakin Air Conditioning Service Specialist. Sunny today. We have 26 degrees at Carey Bay. Thursday Finance for our sponsor, Pritchard and Partners. And there are so many different kinds of things you can investment, invest in on the investment market. And property syndicates is one we've been talking about um, today. And Stephen Pritchard, what kinds of assets are likely to be held by a property syndicate? Well, as I was saying, um, they're usually a single type asset. In the, in the syndicate, um, and is distinct from um, things like stock and trust, which has a mixture of um, you know super um, shopping centres and commercial property and some residential stuff. So, what this enables you to do is to build up your own commercial um, investment portfolio with less money than you would normally require. Many people starting property investment in um, buying a house. And then, or two houses, or some units, or something. And then they look, oh well, I'd get a better return if I if I bought a shop because the rents on commercial, um, because of the perceived extra risk, are always higher than residential. But a lot of commercial property, um, you know, if you go down to Beaumont Street, I, I'd be surprised if you could find anything for for sale down there. But if it was, um, you know, I, I suspect you'd be paying close to a million dollars for a reasonable property down there. And that, that's usually out of the risk of, uh, out of the rich for most people. So what they can, and, and so what they can do is they can invest in a number of commercial uh, property units in, over, you know, different um, retail assets, shopping centres or hotels, get the advantage of the increased yield but also get the lower risk because they're not having all their money in the one particular asset. So, so they're, they're quite a good way of people with a smaller amount of means to diversify their commercial property assets. So commercial property, we think of office buildings, we think of shopping centres, um, hotels? Hotels. What other um, kinds? Um, <laughs> warehouses. Factories, warehouses. Yes. Um, um, yeah, and um, storage centres. I've seen yeah. a, a property center floating around for a storage centre. So commercial property broadly defines anything that's not residential. Right. Okay. So residential. What the advantages over residential are mainly the fact that you're likely to get a higher return. Yeah, as you far get a higher. You goes. get a higher yield. I mean, yeah. residential property. Um, you'd be lucky at the moment if you're netting four percent. Commercial property syndicates. There's a number around that. That you know, eight percent plus returns. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, whereas residential would be uh, yeah. how much? Four. Four percent. I mean, commercial property, direct commercial property around town at the moment is selling around about 8% yield. Okay. So, so you can get yeah. double the yield by, by um, investing in commercial property. Now, there is some additional risk. I mean, commercial property is not as liquid as residential property. It can take longer to sell. The tenant moves out. Um, sometimes if it's a specialised property, um, it can take longer to get a replacement tenant.
and that's one of the reasons the yield's higher on that to compensate for your risk. But it has got a place in a, in a diversified portfolio. And just one last question, does it matter where the property is? Oh, yes. It's like, <laughs> like, uh, like uh, um, you, you know, and that, to a certain extent that's reflected in the valuation. You know, a, 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 a commercial property in, in uh, Hamilton would, would obviously be a better investment than one out in the, out in the newer suburbs that didn't have as... as people with as high amount of disposable income yeah, to spend in the, the shop. Well, that's uh, Thursday Finance for today. Many thanks, Stephen Pritchard and Brett Hall, and we'll be back next Thursday just before Easter with uh, Thursday Finance. You can catch it on podcast, as I say, news coming your way, and then Julian Campbell with Business, The Law and You.